If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Robin Myers, senior minister in one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Dr. Robin Myers. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Something strange has happened to me as I get older and preach on familiar texts. What I expected is that their power would diminish with familiarity, that my head and heart would say, if you will, been there, done that. But that is not what has happened. Now, not only can I not sing certain hymns without crying, but I cannot read certain texts without being reduced to silence. And as Sean will tell you, when I am reduced to silence, she and all the angels go forth rejoicing. (laughs) This is one of those texts. How many times have I read it and preached on it? For one thing, the passages that really get to me, they belong in a very special basket of similar texts that all have uneven right-hand margins. That is, they are poetry and song, like Mary's Magnificat, where the mighty are brought down from their thrones. Who is not weary right now with the mighty on their thrones? And then there's the only indoor sermon we know Jesus ever preached, which says something about what he thought of organized religion, in which he quotes Isaiah and begins, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those might be the greatest opening lines of a sermon ever if you could just figure out what to say next. And then there's the ancient hymn that Paul quotes in Philippians 2, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I know that one day I will tire of hearing these songs of hope, these visions of a world at peace, a world where children are safe and God's people study war no more. But I suspect that day will not come before I am dead. So in the days left to me, I'm going to sing them and remind anyone who will listen that as Fred Craddock said, familiarity about scripture not only breeds contempt, but in the church, deafness. Your job as a preacher, he told us, is to help people hear the gospel as if for the very first time. So here we go again to a place we may only think we have visited before. Isaiah writes eight centuries before the birth of Jesus and two centuries after the death of David, that king by which all other kings would be measured. And we can relate to this so painfully right now because the kings we are dealing with don't exactly measure up either. So Isaiah dreams of something better, something we can't see yet, something we have to trust that is in God's future. A shoot will spring forth from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesse, who, who is Jesse? This is Bible trivia time. Uh, who wants to play? <laughs> Jesse was David's father. Isaiah wants to know if in this barren landscape there is somewhere, if we look closely enough, a green shoot of hope that abundant life might return. Maybe Isaiah wants a king even greater than David, who was clearly flawed, just ask Bathsheba. So what would a king even better than David do? How would he make decisions? Who would he answer to? Well, it's all right here. First, the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Fear meaning respect, of course, not being frightened, but being in covenant. That is, for starters, the king should think of someone other than the king. That's just a simple paraphrase. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, as if the world is theater for him, like, I don't know, a Miss Universe pageant, or decide by what his ears hear, that is, by the words of those who flatter him to curry favor with him, like you are probably the greatest king in the history of kings, and yes, you definitely had the largest crowd ever assembled at your coronation. Just ask anyone who works for you. It was perfect. It was beautiful. 
as you yourself have said you are the chosen one. God help us. Isaiah continues, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The meek of the earth, that is, if the meek will earn their free food by working at least 20 hours a week at jobs that don't exist. As you dine at the Mar-a-Lago of Jerusalem, your holiness, you can eat the food that brown hands have prepared and you can sleep on silk sheets changed by women who do not interest you. And then you can build a wall to keep the meek where the goddamn meek belong. Isaiah continues, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Check. If only Isaiah had lived to see the righteousness of Twitter, where the first sign of a godly man is that he tweets others as he would like to be tweeted. Isaiah continues, righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness a belt around his loins. Oh, be careful here, Robin. (laughs) Don't just say the first thing that comes to your mind about a belt around the king's loins. I know that Isaiah is not talking about a male chastity belt here, but would that help? (laughs) Maybe Bathsheba could help design it. Maybe she could be the only one with the key. We could call it consent. But I digress. And besides, now comes the song of songs. Now comes the vision. Now comes the unbearably beautiful, tragically unfulfilled dream. Just listen to this. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. Nope, not going to happen. Fake news. One thing we know for certain is that despite all our efforts to imagine the peaceable kingdom in nature, like, you know, wild beasts sitting around a campfire singing kumbaya, the truth is the wolf will only lie down with the lamb after he has finished eating him. Despite all our efforts to paint nature in song and poetry as deeply and nonviolently harmonic, if you want the truth, just go on a safari. It is kill or be killed. It is eat or be eaten. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. A, a grazing bear? Sean and I have some bear stories from Colorado we can tell you, but not a single one of them involves grazing. They, they do not eat grass and chew the cud, or guess what, they would not be bears. And lions will never order straw off the menu. They are the original carnivores. Do not take a bale of hay to them smelling like bacon, because all that will be left of you will be an untouched bale of hay. Christianity does not have to literalize its metaphors to make people understand what it means to dream the impossible dream. Isaiah is not saying that this is what we will all suddenly wake up to, animals that have species amnesia, who don't remember their own assigned role in the brutal and utterly amoral hierarchy of nature. 
So please don't crochet the peaceable kingdom and hang it on the wall as if that's what the prophet really meant. Isaiah is not talking about what animals should do. He is using the impossibility of lions suddenly thinking they are cows to make the real point, which is that humans are not animals, at least entirely, and we should be able to stop acting like them. With God's help, we might consider elevating our existence to a higher level, because you know a lot of humans also go through life killing or being killed. They just do it with their clothes on. And of course, we are the only species that kills our own. Which brings us to a line so powerful that the only way to really hear it as if for the first time is to hear it with our eyes closed. So let's do that. Close your eyes for a moment. Push every other thought out of your mind and just let these words have their way with you. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Okay, look at me. I don't know what that means to you, but I can tell you what it means to me. This is our true marching order, orders as followers of a God of mercy and distributive justice. We do no harm where harm can be avoided, and we commit ourselves to nonviolence and radical pacifism. Yes, we become pacifists. In case there's anyone in this room who has any doubts about this, please know I believe deep down in the marrow of my bones that Jesus of Nazareth was a pacifist, a radical pacifist. And this is the text that persuaded my father to be a conscientious objector in World War II and persuaded me to be one during the Vietnam War. Not because I just didn't want to go, none of us wanted to go, but because there is something more important than what people think of you or say about you or try to make you feel guilty about as humans march off to kill their own kind. But here's what I want to know. So who breaks the cycle? Who turns, that is, who repents in Bible lingo and says, I, I cannot do it anymore, I will not do it anymore? because I will not hurt or destroy on all your holy mountain, including in the jungles of Vietnam. I remember so vividly when my letter came from the draft board. We used to have a draft board, you know, and everyone's son or daughter, including politicians, had to worry that their kid's number might be drawn, but I digress. It stated this letter Dear Robin Myers, that I had been granted conscientious objector status and I could serve in other capacities, but I would not see combat. I was so happy that I thought maybe we should have a, like a family celebration. Or for our family, that meant grab a cheeseburger or drink a Dr. Pepper toast. But my father said, Robin, I wouldn't even talk about it. Not talk about it? Yes, I wouldn't talk about it. People are not going to understand. 
I know what he was doing, trying to protect me. But what is truly strange is a world in which a person's faith cannot lead them to withdraw from participation in the machinery of war, which as we all know is not going to turn itself off. It's too profitable, too deeply satisfying in a demonic sort of way, too wrapped up in tribalism, racism, and the real driver of combat, economic self-interest. God gave us that oil that's under your feet. Please move or we will shoot you. I have argued in every book I've written and in half the sermons I've preached that if people can't see something distinctive about us, something countercultural, something peculiar and subversive as followers of Jesus, then what in the world are we doing here? They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. The peaceable kingdom is just an absurd metaphor that sets up an even more impossible command for the human animal. But every time I read it, I try to come up with some way to rationalize it away. Do not hurt or destroy except in self-defense. That, that's good, but, but that's not what it says. Do not hurt or destroy except when the bugles blow and it's time to march and do your sacred duty. That's really good. That's not what it says either. Do not hurt or destroy unless the holy mountain needs defending from the infidels. Come on, that's really good. Not what it says. So I think I will just crochet the peaceable kingdom and hang it in the church parlor. Then all I will have to think about is, wouldn't it be lovely if wolves and lambs would play nice together? What an insult to Isaiah. In fact, come to think of it, instead of making sentimental art out of the spiritual land of Oz, why don't we just admit that we are under orders here? We're free to ignore them, of course, and then we can join the chorus of voices that is asking, why is the church dying? Why is it dying? Well, I say, could it be we're disappearing because our faith has become invisible? Do not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. Oh, gosh, can I get some exemptions, please? Exemptions on aisle six, please. See, my son wants this video game for Christmas where the good guys blow away the bad guys. It's a point-of-view shooter game, I think they call it. Lots of blood, lots of heads exploding. That's okay, right? I love Jesus, but I love the Second Amendment even more, and I want to carry a gun openly everywhere I go. I mean, what could be more Jesus-y than that? Hell, I even want to pack heat when I go to heaven. I mean, forget dogs. Do all guns go to heaven? I want to be obsessed with a sport that breaks the heads of young men because winning a violent game is more important than letting someone else plant their flag on the holy mountain of the playoffs. Can we get some exemptions, please? Well, of course you can. The church has plenty of them. We've been specializing in holy exemptions for centuries. Been bad? Confess it to a priest, say ten Hail Marys, you can still be a mobster. 
Don't know whether you're a good candidate for heaven? We'll pay up some indulgences. We'll get you in. Say you love the Lord because you read two Corinthians and eat those little crackers and drink those little cups of juice. We'll make you king. We will make you king. Newsflash. Church is dying. Experts disagree on the reason why. Well, I have an idea. Maybe it's because we don't really take any of it seriously. Maybe we think Isaiah 11 is a misprint. Or maybe deep down we're terrified it's not. Because there's only one thing more dangerous than not taking the gospel seriously, and that's taking it too seriously. Can we get some pacifists on aisle six? Can we get some honest-to-goodness study war no more, folks? Can someone please, please, please start actually beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks? When I first arrived in Oklahoma City in 1985, I went out to play golf with a prominent United Methodist minister who ended up building the largest church in town. And we're walking down the fairway over at Hefner, and he asked me the strangest question. He asked me if it was true what he'd heard about me. I said, well, I don't know. He said that you're a peacenik. A what, I said? A peacenik, Robin. Are you a peacenik? Well, I hope so. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Dr. Robin Myers, Senior Minister of Mayflower Congregation on UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.